Hi, Coffee and Combo listeners. It is your host, Liz Bullard. Thank you for tuning in again. If you're new to Coffee and Combos, it is a podcast where I talk with different residents, community leaders, business owners, and really anyone who's really great at at holding an interesting conversation. And we discuss things that are happening here locally to the Waterbury community, as well as things that are going on globally. And for this episode, I am joined by community advocate Maybeth Morales as we discuss um, and kind of play around with the question of, are we doing justice for our children? Meaning we've had so many things go on, whether it's Um, COVID-related things, racial injustice, and have we really addressed this um, from that educational standpoint? And I know that can be sometimes a dicey um, or a difficult balance between school and home. What does the school address and what does the home address? But I think that the school has a little bit of a obligation to at least check in with their students, especially when they're spending a large part of the day there. And all these factors, these global factors, affect their their ability to focus, their ability to put their education first. And so I think that it's also a conversation that might come up in school, even as we are doing virtual education or how we were doing virtual education in the spring and how we might do that in the fall. These are all questions and things that might come up. And to ignore them, I think, dismisses children and dismisses their thoughts. And so um, I was very excited to have Maybeth as we talk about inclusion, removing the police from the school system. Um, What does having um, a more inclusive environment for our children look like? And what I really liked was that Maybeth referred to the data. And I think that's really important when you're having these conversations um, and everyone has various opinions. But looking at the data, what is the data showing as far as numbers? And so Maybeth refers to that a lot during this episode. So grab a seat, grab a snack as we decide if we're doing justice for our children who are definitely the future of this nation. Thank you. Be well. And remember to follow Coffee and Combos on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to Coffee and Combos. How are you doing? Oh, thank you, Liz. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to have you because you are like so involved in the community. Um, so I'm interested to get your perspective on a couple of things. But for all those of you who are listening, I am joined by my friend and community advocate, Maybeth Morales. Um, she's very involved in Waterbury and many different things. And so I thought it was very fitting. Um, and all she also is a mother and passionate about um, education. So I thought it was fitting to kind of talk about um, the children and are we doing them a disservice? You know, we have everything that's going on as far as racial injustice, um, coronavirus, all these these things in the air. And are we doing them a disservice? So hopefully by the end of the conversation, we get to um, 
discuss that and, and try and figure out are we doing our kids, you know, the future a disservice? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, my point of views are obviously my own, and um, but hearing your feedback and, and perspective and um, opinion as well as, as a resident of the city, and you yourself are a huge proponent of education in this city. So I definitely want, you know, I think this will be a good conversation in both ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's jump right in. So are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Oh, I am a coffee drinker, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you this, I, I usually only pick up a cup, a cup of co uh, tea, actually, if if I'm sick, like I have a you know sore throat or just feel achy. Otherwise, you'll see me with a cup of coffee usually in the morning to go towards a uh, a bold, strong coffee. I'm actually drinking a Puerto Rican coffee. The last about four or five months now, we've been heavy, heavy drinking on that coffee right now. It's delicious. But yes, love coffee. Um, no sugar, just a little bit of cream. Really? You know, but I feel like yeah. you have like this just bigger than life bold like uh, personality. So I can see that as far as a coffee, just like a straight bold coffee. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> you drink coffee or tea? You know, you know, I can't get past the bitterness of coffee. So I'm a straight tea person, but I love like the gotcha. whole tea experience. Like I love like green teas, black teas, yeah. um, and especially with the honeys. Like I'm a big honey person, like clover honeys, wild flower honeys, um, local, like I, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Now I know next time we sit down for a cup of tea slash Joe, we know, we know who's drinking what. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So again, wanting to talk to you about um, education um, and what prompted this is um, when you had mentioned that you were talking or you were reaching out to the superintendent um, in regards to her response um, regarding racial injustice. And it, was, it wasn't like an immediate response after everything with the George Floyd and how public. Um, there was a, a, a pause before we heard anything from the superintendent. Um, and you, yeah. you reached out. Do you want to share a little bit about why you reached out, why that was important to you? Yeah, sure. So reaching out first and foremost is always because I'm a mom. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I support education of our children, period, whether someone's mom or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but I happen to be a mom of, of boys in the public school. And so um, I, I thought it was super important that the education department addressed uh, George Floyd's death, mm -hmm. a murder, actually, and um, all the racial tensions and uprisings. Um, that we see now to this day, you know, um, from community members who have just had enough. Um, and so uh, I, I just tried to sort of um, reach her and bring it to her attention and, you know, ask, talking about this, why aren't the classrooms talking about this? I know at the time when it hit um, in late May, we were, you know, in a virtual setting and, and mm -hmm. COVID was hitting some of our families and distant learning was just sort of, um, starting up here in Waterbury. And so I know there was sort of, you know, what's, what's the emergency at the moment. So I get that, but, um, you know, the school year ended and there still was no really conversation 
about what was going on. And I think you do the children a disservice when you don't talk about um, things that are happening in the community. You know? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I appreciate that she had a town hall, um, which happened I think, last week, maybe mm -hmm. before. Yeah. And so, you know, I did jump on that phone call to voice my same concerns. Um, I, I just wish that sort of style happened while the kids were part of that conversation. Um, I don't think we heard from one student. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think we heard from one student in that town hall um, about how they were feeling, how they were impacted. Have they been to protests? Why, you know, have they seen their teachers or have they not seen their teachers at the protests? You know, um, that was lost and a missed opportunity for the city as a whole. I, I I agree, especially, you know, and I get some people listening might be like, well, why should the school have to reach out and say these things? But I think when you look at your community and how diverse we are, and we have um, a, a large minority community, a lot of African American and Latinx, you know, it's important to address these things, um, yeah. especially when the media and things that they are seeing might make them feel as if they're not heard and they're not valued. I think it's just important for the school system to really say, hey, we value you um, and we are trying to be sensitive of that, um, no matter what different households are saying in their views. But just to let the kids know that, you know, we, you know, we, we see you, um, especially here when you think of Waterbury, there have been a lot of youth who have participated um, and even organized a lot of the protests and rallies. So I agree that to not mention it in the um, education setting when it has happened um, and get their feedback is a missed opportunity um, for growth um, and for advocacy um, for kids. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I also will say that it's a disservice uh, to your white students as well. I mean... Mm. You make a better you know, all-around individual when you understand history, true facts, and, you know, um, the deep issues that are rooted here in America. Um, you know, you as a white person, when you understand and, and really can history, you are much well-rounded individual, and you will, you know, um, you'll hopefully, you know, you have a brighter future ahead of you in the sense of, of understanding and caring and history and knowledge and teaching others. So I think you do it just specifically our black and brown kids, because I think, you know, they need to, to vent about it. Um, mm. It's impacting them day to day, you know, also to our white students who, who need to um, understand what's going on as well. I absolutely, because I think it's about empathy. And when you're able to understand the struggles of everybody, um, whether it's a gender bias, sexuality bias, racial bias, you're able to be like, okay, I understand why you might have taken my words at a time. Or I understand right. why you were offended at this or that. You know, it's not necessarily about changing one's views or changing anything, but it's about saying, I understand. And I think that that's under that's important is to have that um, conversation so that um, everyone feels that they're being respected. Absolutely. Absolutely. One one important thing, you know, I'll jump mm -hmm. right into is um, a request I was making of the superintendent was to offer um, anti-racist education, you know, in mm -hmm. the classroom, and, um, mm -hmm. especially professional development. But you know, I think that um, that's 
that's the only true path that that folks can take to really address racism um, in this country um, is to be anti. And what does that mean? You know, it means to fight against racism mm-hmm. um, consciously and cons- mm. um, and and making equitable choices on a daily, you know, in a daily way, um, and and taking those actions to end racial inequities, um, not just you know, not just in this scenario, but but any mm-hmm. and every time that you can. Um, I think that's what it means to be anti-racist. So how how do we? How do we bring that into the classroom for teachers and for students? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think addressing self-awareness is, is key for, for teachers, you know, um, asking tough questions, you know, that, that many of us don't want to address, even, even if, if you're in the class, you know, specifically for the classroom, like uh, how am I perpetuating racist ideas in my classroom, mm-hmm. you know? Um, who are the kids that I'm labeling or who are the mm-hmm. ones that I'm punishing the most? Um, who receives praise often, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and do all my students, you know, do I have all um, or high expectations of all my students? And mm-hmm. really, I mean, there's a bunch of other questions, but, you know, just starting there and answering them honestly and truthfully to yourself, I think many of us um, will be uncomfortable with our answers, right? And, and that's okay, you know, that's, Absolutely. that's being self-aware and saying, okay, there is a problem here and now I need to take action to address it because once I do, um, you know, we can talk about systemic racism, racism in the classroom and it will have a positive impact, not only on myself as the teacher, you know, um, but also on. So, you know, I encourage and I challenge um, educators to really get uncomfortable with themselves around this issue and become more self-aware. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was talking about that um, in an earlier episode with Margaret and and self-awareness is important. And that's the only way that we're going to have growth. And I think it starts with um, the teachers, because it's as simple as you put it, you know, who's getting more praise? Who are you? The the expectations you have. And like you might not intentionally be doing that. But like, right. you slow down and be like, okay, why do I have different expectations? You might find that there's a little bit of bias. You right. might find that it's actually based on what the student is able to do. But I don't think that there's anything wrong in being self-aware because that helps to make sure that you're removing bias. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the only way. You know, once you become mm-hmm. self-aware, you really can stop and think about what's getting in the way, you know, uh, um, what are causing the issues in my classroom, you can really. Um, so, so another thing that I encourage teachers to do is to talk about race. Let's stop ignoring it. You know, um, why do we do that? Why do we ignore race as if it's like a bad word? Like, why do we do that? I think, I think because it's, it's comfortable to ignore it and it Mm. comes uncomfortable when we don't ignore it. Um, Mm. which is why it's so important to address issues first you know Mm. but um you know as a society we've we we've ignored racial inequalities um for so long and and Mm. it's hard to address this and the same for the classroom you know um i'll say that it's 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 interesting that during two months of the school year um black history month and hispanic heritage is predominantly the only time students are really talking about black and brown history. Mm. Um, 
during those two months, but what's on the rest of the school months, you know? I, so I, I encourage and challenge um, teachers to really look at resources and ways they can incorporate black and brown history and, and, um, and other things, art, you know, for instance, like incorporate that throughout the year, um, you know, brown artists. Let's talk about black and brown composers and, music. Mm. Um, you know, let's talk about um, music's history and rap just incredible history and knowledge you know that we can um show support of the black community in so many ways um you know during those those two months specifically you know many times brown heroes here mlk and malcolm x rosa parks frida Chavez, and i love all of them dearly Um, Mm -hmm. they all made really great contributions to our society but there's so many others that, you know, continue to, to not be named. Um, there's so many other incidents in history that, you know, are not brought, you know, to our children's attention um, that, you know, again, you're doing a disservice to our black and brown community students, white students. Um, Absolutely. The, the George Floyd incident. I mean, we didn't talk about that in schools at all. You know, like we sort of started the conversation. I asked my son, who's mm-hmm. in fourth grade, every day since it happened, hey, did your teacher mention it? Have you Because him and I, we have these conversations at home. Um, it's important. It's important. It's important. It's important. So, you know, those are those are challenges I give to to educators to really start addressing in the classroom um, and, and hearing from their students because they need to vent about local and national news that are you know really affecting them um at home and absolutely and i think you know again for people listening they might be like well why does the teacher have to do that i I would say think about it in the same as gun violence these are things that are affecting our kids and oftentimes it's easier for them to talk in the classroom amongst their peers and with the teacher versus at home and sometimes at yeah. home, again, we don't think to have these conversations. So I think that in the school, um, and they can send out something saying like, hey, like these are topics that might, like we are going to talk about things that are going on because they directly affect the students. You know, you might be wondering, well, why is the student acting up? Why is he angry? Why is this happening? Um, why are they withdrawing? Well, let's talk about what's going on in their world and how are they affected by it? Because they are listening. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I think, you know, the teaching profession is, is a, it takes a special person to be a teacher. It does. I totally applaud, applaud the really good teachers out there. I really do. Um, because it's not for everybody clearly because we have a lot of teachers who really shouldn't be teachers, Absolutely. Um, but to all the great teachers out there who are, you know, impacting their students and talking about these things, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mom, from one mom here in Waterbury who, you know, has biracial children, thank you, because it means a lot. Um, and I, I just hope that other folks can follow in, in those sort of um, um, attributes and, and add things like that to their classroom as well. <laughs> teachers, I think, um, they're, well, let me talk about Waterbury real quick. So mm-hmm. Waterbury, Dr. Ruffin on the town hall, if she had stats as far as how many 
teachers live in the city. She didn't have those stats uh, during the town hall, but she did allude to the fact that many of them don't live here in the city. Mm. And, you know, it, it resonated with me um, because it's so important to see your teacher outside of the classroom. You know, mm. that's, that's when relationships are formed. That's when relationships are built. Um, it, it's so important for teachers to communicate with um, leaders and students live. You know, get to know who are the local heroes, who are the heroes that your students you know, thinks are local heroes. Get to know those <laughs> folks. Um, get to know the service organizations that um, are providing services to, you know, the, the You can be a resource for your students when you see a need and, you know, um, and you're now you're able to, to give their mom or dad. Um, I think that's so important um, to build that you know, relationship outside of the classroom. Um, show up at a protest. Any teachers showed up at any of these protests? I'd love to know that number. And mm. not just teachers, you know, admins, anyone in the education. Folks showing up in support of our young people who are out here, you know, screaming for help and saying, mm. you know, justice, we demand justice, right? Um, Absolutely. So I, I think that's really important. And reading. Let me let me let me stop there with reading. I think it's super <laughs> crucial. Like you know, that teachers who uh, who don't live in communities that they're live in, or who don't look like their students, that they read up. They, they seek authors, black and brown authors, who are talking about education in urban communities. Super important to see. Um, the life of somebody you know in that community and and understanding education um you know in that way to, to that community um seek those authors out you know dr chris emden is is a a huge advocate mm. um and author he's a professor at columbia university i mean he's a great one to tap into some of his um his books that he's done in regards to urban education and what it's like you know, teach teaching those areas um uh, Chimay Morales James, who wrote, co-wrote these of the Black Panthers. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, not in Waterbury schools. <laughs> and you know you what? Know, to I be mean, honest, here in Waterbury, there are a lot of local leaders, um, local authors. Like there are people who have poured back into their community, and I do think it's a missed opportunity with. Um, you don't utilize them, um, their books, to um, reflect yeah. within your, your community. Like, your kids need to see um, that here we have authors. Here we have uh, people who are active in the community. I mean, use them. I mean, that you, and I think it goes back to what you're saying. It's really about utilizing the assets of your community. If you're talking about art and you're in a community that has local artists, will bring them in. I'm sure they would love to have right. that collaboration. And while that requires more effort on um, the teachers um, or the administration, because it, it, it's, a, it's a collab, um, I think it's necessary. And it, it, it's just going to, um, when, we just, it, when we do not acknowledge our community, when we don't acknowledge the resources we have, I just think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And and it's nice to know that, you know, your neighbor wrote a book. I mean, who knew, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, whether you 
or not. But I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, imagine if if uh, the author of Harry Potter lived next door to you. I mean, how just how cool is that, right? So I they mean, would be at every book <laughs> signing, every scholastic <laughs> thing. At <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you you know, going back to books, I think it's super important to to especially in a community like Waterbury, where um, Dr. Ruffin has said the minority students are the majority, you know? Mm -hmm. So then the libraries and the bookshelves look like the students they represent, mm -hmm. you know? And in this case, Waterbury, it is black and brown students. Um, let's, let's get some of these authors on the, she's awesome. Jason Reynolds, amazing. I mean, these are, are um, you know, novels are amazing you know they address they address um they've got characters that look like a majority of our students in waterbury themselves as an author looks like some of these you know, our students in waterbury so you to really find and ask whether it's a librarian to order some or if you know again i know teachers a lot of out-of-pocket expenses that really really um, but you know, if it, a GoFundMe page, whatever it is, to help get some of these authors inside of your classroom, I think will also help to create those relationships. Oh wow, my teacher thought to have a black author in you know in her room. Yes, very cool, right? Yeah. Um, so no, and it's not about you know. I think a lot of times when we talk about inclusion, people feel like. Um, one group is going to be isolated or or whatever and it's not about isolating you know shakespeare no. is a great author right great playwright and he really helped to shape other works of art but you can find other people to help complement that whether they might be portuguese playwrights or whoever but really think about who's in your community and how you can bring um, the material alive for them by bringing in some of their history right. and their culture. Um, I think it just helps make it not so boring. You know what I mean? A good mix. I mean, you know, we see Waterbury as the first town and it's about, um, you know, the in the fall and celebration we have mm -hmm. um, and how wonderful it is to see all these cultures. Well, we need that same mixture in in our schools <laughs> do you think you know? bringing that up do you because at least for me i don't know I, that to me is like the biggest um cultural day that we have and it's not often reflected throughout the year or in different events but in that cultural event like we have the school we have like we have everybody like we have the bands and it becomes this whole community thing do you think that um do you think that sets up, because again, this issue of um, inclusion and diversity, it's one that is often had in the city. Do you think yeah. that the cultural parade being um, so big, such a big event, that it sets up the attitude or the thought that, um, or the expectation that diversity is also going to be seen in the school system and everywhere else in the city? Yeah, I'm... In some ways, it set up a false expectation that the rest of the city is this, <laughs> you know, or the, the rest of the systems within this is this, because when you look at the data, it's not, you know, um, mm -hmm. out of 1600 employed um, teachers, and I think that includes admins in the school system here in Waterbury, um, over a thousand are white females. So, mm -hmm. I mean, 
clearly that, you know, in, in the education, it's not reflected as far as diversity amongst teachers uh, administration. Um, I don't have numbers as far as police force and other systems, but I got to believe they're very similar. Um, and, and, and the, the event is, is beautiful. I go every year. Uh, I love the music. I love the food. I love bumping it to different folks that I know and folks I, you know, I do know. Um, it's beautiful in that way. And I just, I hope that, you know, that is like, it can be a stepping stone for bigger, you know, bigger conversations or bigger changes within the, the self. Yeah. I think so. And like bringing it back to um, the school specifically, um, I, another issue that often talked about is um, the police presence within schools. And um, what, how do you feel about that? Like, just like as a mom, as a city resident, how do you feel about like the police being in the school or being a presence in the school? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the police not being in our school. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have Liz. <laughs> but but really to set, set the stage on, on with some data, um, Waterbury actually counts for 3.5 Connecticut's student population, which is pretty small, right? Mm-hmm. However, Waterbury students account for 18% of all school-based arrests in Connecticut. That's a lot. Now, that's huge. That's and, a lot. and that data, for anyone who wants to go find the data, actually was pulled from report in February of 2020 from oh, local wow. group radical advocates for cross-cultural education. So there are a local Waterbury group here in town promoting and supporting um, racial justice and education and et cetera. So, yeah. So, I mean, the data alone indicates that it's a huge problem having police presence in schools um, for our students who, um, the, the students who predominantly arrested are actually black girls. Really? Much, much higher rates compared to the rest of the of the country actually yeah so you know the data the data is there and um during the town hall dr ruffin she actually several times stated that the police were um numerous times you know in the classroom for for things that folks should have handled in the classroom and not called the police for so it's great that she acknowledged that because i think that's a problem of its own that maybe has to be dealt with in um, or in some other fashion but you know it was it was disheartening at the same time because there's really no plan in place to 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 make change um you know how, how is she really addressing that because at the end of the day even one student enter the school to prison pipeline is too many in my opinion absolutely um, especially so- with and no one's saying like, okay, like if it's an emergency and things like that, right? But to hear um, administration say that things could have been resolved a different way um, is very disheartening. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very. Because um, I, you know, yeah, because you know, for for um, and whatever, it's just it's 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 scary to be quite honest. It's very scary. Um, because for, you know, our black and brown students, again, that, that just leads to arrest and um, prison. 
and that's the cycle, unfortunately, for for our Black and Brown students. Um, so you know, it's 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 a crisis, in my opinion. Um, Absolutely. I have just, yeah, just just like you know, I have family in in the suburbs, and um, my nephew, who's in junior high, had a physical altercation in his school. Maybe I can't remember, and um, you know, with several other students, um, physical fight, and mm-hmm. nothing happened. Police were called ever. It wasn't to call the police. That was not even you know. A, it was you know folks, you know were 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 sent to then talk to separately, talk to together as a group. You know, um, parents came in and spoke to each other and the principal, and it was handled like that. You know, <laughs> that, like, that doesn't I, happen in Waterbury. I, I know. As you said that, I was thinking about how conditioned we are because. Um, how they have it set up i'm like oh the expectation is something happens you call the police like that's the law that's the rule because that's kind of what's been told to us the police have to be called um but there was a time that was not in place so it's it's, you know it's easy to get conditioned to think that this is the norm everywhere and it's not it's really not it's the norm in big cities like waterbury with populations um you know majority minority student the data proved it the data is out there you know um folks have to to, to find it it's out there but i mean I, I would love to see um police officers out of the school and 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 the administration using that money towards more mental health support more counselors and um recruiting more minority teachers i think those are three areas um that are needed in our schools that positively outcomes for all of our students and what would you say to people that you know because again kind of like we talked about um with the you know the fight and then the police were not called and you know being kind of conditioned um that this is yeah. the response that is needed what would you say to people that are like well it's necessary to have the police in the school to keep it safe um my my question safe for who Mm. <laughs> mm. For who? you know i mean say what mean. <laughs> uh, that would be my question you know um I, I, listen there there's there's no no police in watertown there's no police there's no police in southbury roxbury um the list goes on and on so who exactly are the school safe from Mm. I think is that, my question when folks bring up that that question. Yeah, and I would be interested to to know the response because I think that often that is either the assumption or things that that are heard when people talk about um, removing the officers from um, specifically inner city schools. Um, yeah, and I don't know if there is data on if the police in the school makes it any safer or not. Um, but the numbers that you presented as far as um, who's getting arrested at the rate is, is, is startling. Um, it just yeah, start. And it, it's yeah, it's scary, especially as a black or, or brown parent. Mm. It really is, and I think it should be scary even for for white folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, because the reality it, is, if it's happening to one group, it can happen to another. It can, exactly, very easily. Yeah, you know? um, and if that's that, that's the norm, which it's for quite many years now um then you know it, it, 
other group at some point or different groups at some point or at some level, you know. Um, so let's let's just nip it in the butt now and, you know, no, no, no police in schools. Let's get them out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important, um, especially when you think about the climate of everything that these kids are exposed to and what they're seeing as far as police brutality. And I don't think that there's enough discussion on how triggering it can be to see um, law enforcement in school where school is often a place where kids um, feel safe, you know, they feel fed, right. they have, you know, teachers that they connect with, and then to see law enforcement, um, you might be seeing something that's contrary. Um, right. It can help, it can um, cause that to be a traumatic experience to go to school rather than um, just what it's supposed to be about education and socialization. Right. I agree 100%, and I actually have a personal story to share. You know, one, yes. of, one of my sons was, I said, he goes to public school here and, 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 and the school actually threatened another student his age. He's nine and students of color, my son and the other student that was reprimanded. Um, the student was threatened, you know, his, his behavior was out of line whatever that Mm -hmm. behavior was, I'm not quite sure. And she threatened him by saying, I'm going to call the police. This continues. Son is nine. He came home petrified. And that's not okay. Because Mm -hmm. how many other students also heard that same threat, went home petrified, went home scared, went home, you know, didn't eat because they were so home and and actually you know instead cause trouble because they were so petrified right i mean mm-hmm. that impacts it probably just an impact my son um but mm-hmm. it's scary because that threat alone um is something like you know to your point where some children don't feel safe and comfortable around police officers um because of the climate and because of of you know things that have happened in this country um, that are coming, you know, finally sort of coming to the forefront for people to witness um, through video cam and things like that. And so, you know, our kids, many of our kids hear these stories or are actually seeing them. And, you know, they have absolutely no faith in a police officer being around them as well, you know, as, as a student of color. And so it's, it's scary, you know. Um, it is because I think it goes back to what you were saying about awareness and I'm sure that that person who made that threat did not mean it to be a threat but really thought it was a way to de-escalate the situation right but if she would have had awareness of her students of of where she was working she might have said okay I can see how this might be more triggering than helpful and I think that's why it's just important to have an awareness of who you're working with because you know maybe in another place in another time period that would not have been triggering but it's important to be aware of the students that you have in your classroom um in their lives because you never know what how your actions could be triggering them right right I I agree 100 percent you know and and when we talked earlier about teachers being part of the community, you know, this is also Mm. why, you know, um, because I mean, that admin, if she knew folks who knew this student outside of, of the classroom, maybe could have made a phone call to, you know, this student's pastor or this student's Mm -hmm. after school teacher say, Hey, I'm having an issue. Can you help me? 
and they could have spoken on speaker. Those are the things missing um, when you don't have teachers who live in our communities or, or, or interact and engage after school and after school hours. I know that's, that's, you know, a lot of work. I get that, you know, um, but it's, 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 it's the reality comes with the territory. Yeah, Yeah, it really does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So there's a question for you. Yes. Do you remember your first black or brown teacher? I do. I tell me, tell me. I was at, I believe Westside middle school and he was a male. Was he an E? He wasn't an English teacher. I think he might have been like social studies or whatever. But before that, I've never seen um, a male teacher. I had never seen um, an African-American teacher. Yeah. That's so powerful, right? (laughs) You know, it it was powerful in the sense that, um, one, I didn't know that they could hold that role because prior to that, it was white, older women that had held that role. And so I'm like, okay, that's the role. Um, and like, I had, you know, I had black role models. I had black male role models. Um, but in seeing a, a male teacher who was also passionate about what he did, um, it was interesting. And also to see how the students responded to him. It was, it was just a different, um, environment. It really was. Yeah. My experience was, um, freshman year of high school and just for some context I actually um I'm 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 a product of the suburbs <laughs> so you know I, I was the minority as as a person of color yeah same yep. all through elementary school yep <laughs> yeah yeah so I had that 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 sort of different dynamic but yeah it was it was freshman year school and and he actually was a substitute teacher that came in because our science teacher was out for the day mm-hmm. um and I just remember how the few students of color that day were the first experience for all of us it it seemed because just of how we interacted and like the pure joy from having this individual in front of us Mm -hmm. before um and and it's just it's it's an eye-opening you know experience for sure um the script really quick Mm -hmm. like i said i did grow up in the suburbs and my fifth grade teacher was my absolute favorite. She was the one who actually of her and her style and everything else. I said, Oh, I want to be a teacher one day. Mm. And, um, her, yeah. Her name was Mrs. Brown and she's actually a white female um, mm. teaching in a, a white, you know, majority town, but we connected on so many levels because outside of the classroom is my neighbor. I mean, she, Oh, and so that connection created such a love for this woman. You know, I still remember her face, her name, who her son. Oh you know, my she would god! Drive by yeah, we'd we'd bump into each other. You know, outside of the classroom at the library store. Um, and so, again, going back to how so important building those outside of the classroom relationships are, whether it's because you live in the the you know the neighborhood community or you don't, and you make it a point really invest time um, in the community that your students are in is so, so, so important for our kids. Question, with knowing she was down the street, did you ever forget like her homework or anything like that? <laughs> oh, no. And, and that's just it. I wanted to be an extra good student because she was awesome and she was my neighbor. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and I, I wasn't a good student to begin with. I've always been like a C. Yeah. So, you know, in my, in my eyes, I wasn't a really good student academic wise. But so, you know, that year was probably my best year as far as academic mm. participation, um, everything, because the, you know, the classroom relationship we had and her as just a human being. I mean, she was kind, she was generous, she was funny, you know, and then that outside dynamic was so, so cool. So cool. for You know, now that you bring that up, I have to say any teacher that like I thoroughly enjoy their class, they were teachers that valued that relationship, that student teacher relationship. And that made you feel comfortable. Yeah. Like there's, you knew their classroom was a safe space. Um, yes. You know, I, I don't think that there's enough conversation about the value of the relationship, whether they're black, white, Asian, whatever. That relationship is important. Um, Absolutely. But I also think, you know, it, it was nice to go from the suburbs to the city and see a more diverse. I saw male teachers. I saw male teachers that might have been Albanian or Italian, um, female teachers that were Italian. Um, and just yeah. seeing the diversity, um, it was it was just nice. It was like it was like real life. Yeah, yeah. I I hear you. I hear you. It's 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 nice when you can, you know, see folks who look like you, see folks who don't look like you, and know mm. their history and cultures, and and then relate to folks who do look like you, and and you can relate on so many levels as well because of what you share. You know important for our kids all around black white asian hispanic latinx you know mm -hmm. um it, it's it's such a powerful and impactful um opportunity for our kids that unfortunately in water um have really seen that diverse um you know sort of mixture like some other folks or some other towns have so we have work to do liz you know there's there's lots of work <laughs> there's always work to do always work to do <laughs> always work to do but one thing i really hope that administration does um especially while we're on this break from covid and we're getting ready to go back in the fall is look at what other districts are doing look what other states are doing as far as diversity um yeah. there was this one online plan um uh, for the school it's an online school um and they were talking about diversity and they talked about changing the design of um the curriculum to have courses that included systemic systemic racism and that explained the mm -hmm. history and legacy of slavery, segregation, mm -hmm. Jim Crow, and their impact on um, Black Americans in the past, in the future, um, and even current-wise. And I, I think that's important to, um, like you said in the beginning, to have um, continued conversation. Um, so that way even students can realize, and be like, oh, wow, I didn't know I was affected this way. Um, or, you know what I mean? It's just important to continue this conversation and to be sensitive of those who are in your classroom. Absolutely. That's a must. That's a priority. That's Absolutely. A priority. There, there was recent legislation about to pass mm. um, Black history as, as a man, mandate or, mm -hmm. or actually just added to curriculum, right? And yes. I don't think it's mandated. It's more of it's an elective in high school. Now you can to take the class which I applaud and I think is really awesome I just hate that it's not mandated <laughs> you know I think it I think it's it's so important for something like that um to be mandated at all students absolutely um, the language was very vague and like how it's incorporated yeah. like 
if I remember um, how the law is written, it's like one place can incorporate it as to say a semester, one can incorporate it a year. It was just very vague and how it, how it gets to be administered. Yeah. Which yeah. is unfortunate. It is opportunity, you know, but I mean, we'll see. Hopefully the kids that do partake will really think out of it and, and teach others. You know, I mean, that, that's the goal. Not repeat history, but teach it, teach it Absolutely. well. So we don't, so we don't repeat it, you know, um, and Absolutely. make those same mistakes. Absolutely. Like in my opinion, though, this is just me. I would have rather um, had more of an inclusionary um, method or stance. Like I would love for it to be like, if we're going to talk about history and we're going to talk about like, or like mathematics and talk about Einstein, who are the other mathematicians that um, were Hispanic or, or whoever? Like, let's be more um, inclusionary versus an elective. But I do think it's progress, um, but I would like to see it grow from there. It's, it's time, it's, it's just time. Absolutely, and I think that starts with putting the kids first and what's gonna be helpful for them. Um, and that, I don't think it's like a one size fits all. I think that that depends on wherever you are, wherever you're listening. Um, I think that involves parents, you know, talking to your kids and asking them like, what do you want? What is helpful for you? And really um, helping your kids have a voice and you also being their voice with the administration and with the school system. Um, because they're listening to these issues, they're seeing these issues on social media. So I think to um, to ignore them is an injustice for them, and it leaves them with questions that they want answered, um, and we can only answer them by talking to them. And so I, I, I challenge anyone that's listening to definitely um, ask your kids what do they think about their school system, what do they think about what they're learning, um, right. and, and see where that conversation goes. And if your kid, if like your school system is satisfying all that, then that's great. That's awesome. Help another neighboring community get there. Right. Absolutely. Maybeth, any last words before we bring this to a close? You know, I just thank you for having me today. Anytime I get to chat with you and and deep conversations, yeah, and, um, you know, I just, I hope that folks um, can take this opportunity to really learn, mm. um, really look within at, at your own, you know, struggles and issues um, that are not allowing you to see injustices that I'm going to be real specific that black and brown folks have been facing for centuries. Um, and, you know, I, I really just challenge you to do that without feeling attacked mm. and, and just know it's for the betterment of everybody, period. So I look forward to working ways. I look forward to working with other parents who, you know, have sort of the same values and beliefs that you've heard today from me <laughs> and, um, you know, really just engaging with the community um, um, and, and other systems on, on true, true change for the, the city. It's important. The school should re reflect the community. You know, there are some communities that their faith is 
super important, then that should reflect in the school. Like, this, they, you know, the school is so important to these kids. It's where they spend the most a part of their day. Um, I don't know what COVID, COVID maybe not, but <laughs> life after COVID. <laughs> COVID is you know. a whole other issue. Woo, girl. <laughs> You're going to be a whole other segment for that. Oh, my God. But I really, those who are listening, I challenge you, um, get involved in your school system, get involved in your community, um, because that's what's really going to help these kids. But Maybeth, thank you so much for being a guest. Um, before we disconnect, I have one last question for you. And it's okay. the what's in your cup question. And so this part of the, the show, I like to ask people, what are three things that you're going to put in your cup to get through the day? And like, so for myself, I'm going to put in, I think, tranquility. I want like some peace, some easy, bra- breezy kind of vibes for the rest of this <laughs> afternoon. Um, yeah. You know, I, I want, I think, um, intentionality. I want to be intentional as we move forward into um, making a better society for our kids. Um, and I just want, like, just ease. I think ease. Yeah. So ease, yeah. um, tranquility, and intentionality. What would you put in your cup okay. to get you through today? All right. So in my cup, I'm going to put some patience. Ooh. Um, yeah, because I need some of that. It's hot. You know, the hotter you are, the less, <laughs> the less patience you have. As a kid, you was always going to get a beat, and then when it was hot, you sit down, just sit down. <laughs> you know it, yes. Um, some self-care, mm. some some alone time today. Yes. But then I also, the last thing, I need some family time. I, mm. I owe it to my kids today. I've been busy, um, actually, on my computer screen working um, several hours, so I definitely mommy time, and so I'm going to give that to them in a little while. Awesome. 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 So those of you who are listening, I challenge you to think about what are three things you need in your cup to get you through today um, and every day, because it is important, especially as um, we battle and we take down systemic racism, COVID, and everything else that 2020 is throwing away. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Maybeth, you take care of yourself, listeners. You take care of yourself. Thank you, Liz. You too. All right. Bye. Bye.